Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Your host is Michelle Beck. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, thrivers, their friends, and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Michelle Beck. Hello, and thank you for joining us today. My name is Michelle Beck. I am a two-time, almost 10-year survivor of breast cancer. I'm the patient programs assistant at Breast Friends of Oregon. And when I have time, you can find me on social media at I Never Liked Pink. So today, I'm so thrilled to welcome our guest. I was introduced to her by a dear friend of mine who is in the industry. And it's so funny being in Portland saying that people are like, what industry? Like logging? No, she is in the entertainment entertainment, arts, theatrical. So her name is Brianna Barrett. She is a playwright, screenwriter, performance artist, and an almost 10-year survivor of Hodgkin's lymphoma. And we're going to talk today about her journey and what it means to be an artist when you're diagnosed and diagnosed young, when you feel like you're in the prime of your life and you've got everything going on and then bam, cancer. And she is also really working on how She's been paying a lot of attention to how young cancer survivors, thrivers are are portrayed in the media and in the arts and what that looks like, because it's really for those of us who've been there, it's not accurate because we see people who are diagnosed and then they're like, oh, and then life just doesn't go on or they're just they're not living their fullest life where for many, that's not the case. And so we're going to talk about that today. So, Brianna, welcome. Uh Thank you for being here today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? The non-cancer part, we'll get there. Okay, sure. Uh, well, I was uh, born in Portland, Oregon. I grew up in Tigard. Oh I'm- my gosh, that's where I live. In oh Tigard. my gosh. Oh, wow. Okay, we have a lot of time. It's really a small today. world. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Um, yeah, and uh, like you said, I'm a, I'm a playwright and storyteller primarily. Uh, I hesitate to call myself a screenwriter yet because uh, the amount of actual paid work I've gotten in that field is pretty minimal thus far. Um, but I'm making the rounds right now with a pilot that I wrote with a friend. And um, those meetings are leading to more meetings. And it's all been pretty exciting. And nobody does any of these jobs for the money anyway, or almost nobody. So I guess I work at a non I work at a nonprofit, so I understand that. Yeah. <laughs> so really, yeah. I I I I'll officially call myself I'm a writer, I'm an occasional performer um of my own work. Um yeah. I've I fully embrace calling yourself a screenwriter because you're putting it out there. I call myself an author and my book is not published yet, but I'm working on it. So that's, you know, I appreciate that. Yeah. You know, I mean, we shouldn't let the the financial aspect of it let, you know, define who we are and how we identify. Exactly. And, you know, I've had a few articles published in magazines, so I consider myself an author. So we're going to go with that. So you're also a screenwriter because you're getting there. And oh, my gosh, I can't wait for the pilot. And we'll talk a tiny bit about that later. I Absolutely. know there's some part of it is still under wraps. But so when did you know that you wanted to be in this field, whether it was on stage or behind the scenes? How did that start? Because Portland is not the area where like, oh, jump into the arts and, you know, and do that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I um I always knew that I wanted to be a writer. Um I didn't know what field I wanted to write in. I thought I wanted to be a novelist, I guess, when I was in the 3rd grade. Um that was That's pretty big dream. aspirations when you're like 8. 
Yeah, I had an amazing third grade teacher who um, would take it upon herself to like, you know, hardbound, like self-publish a copy of any book that was finished in her class. Like, and she had a little library of previous students, like <gasps> books. She's and a I, hero. She's a hero. I was like, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. Like, I want to be in this library. I'm going to be a writer. And I was so, this is uh, really telling about my personality that I was so fixated on getting it perfect that I never actually finished. And for all of fourth grade, I was still working on my novel. Uh, <laughs> That's a problem with many of us, actually. It's we're so focused on perfection. My husband is like, you just have to let it go. Just put it out there. And it is what it is. Otherwise, you're never going to finish because you're like, oh, well, that that's wrong. And this needs to be funnier. And I need more emphasis here. And he's like, just do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, <laughs> I I didn't learn that lesson for a long, a long time. Uh, I was still trying to write a book for a long time. I was like, maybe she'll still publish it. It's like, well, you're not in third grade anymore. So uh, <laughs> yeah, but um yeah, I mean, I um, then I took a fi film class in high school, which was amazing that my high school had a film class and that was really life changing. And yeah, I just realized that's like um, a direction I wanted to go in my life. I got really obsessed with it. Um, I've always been super obsessed with stand up comedy. So um, I knew I wanted to write comedy at some point. I don't I a lot of the films that I made in high school were really um overly earnest and cringy but a lot of them are also extremely funny uh, i think they kind of hold up so uh <laughs> i think the idea of being able to do stand-up comedy and improv that is so fascinating to me because my brain doesn't work like that like there are moments when i think i'm funny and i come up with good things but honestly i can't remember a joke to save my life and <laughs> but i want to be on stage i just want to be talking and sharing about my my personal life because who doesn't want to do that actually most people but <laughs> actually most people <laughs> Most it's people, I know, like the top fear that human beings have next it to spiders, which is much less uh -oh. threatening. I think. Oh, I, spiders are 100% my worst fear. But it wasn't until I was diagnosed with cancer the second time around that I decided, oh, my gosh, I want to talk about this and be super passionate and talk about how I got through. And this is where I ended up. So I've been hosting this podcast for almost two years and you can't shut me up. So <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense to me. I mean, my first time performing on stage was at a fundraiser show called notes of hope which raises money for cancer young adult cancer patient services at ohsu and i'd never done anything like that before um and just because of my love of stand-up comedy i i took it upon myself to write what i thought was a pretty funny set about my experience with cancer and people really responded to it and i was like maybe i should do this more i will have to say there is something super like it, um, I'm a Leo, so I love being the center of attention, uh, but literally being on stage and getting applause and people clapping for you, that's freaking the best. <laughs> Anything I can do to do that, like I will take it. But so you mentioned your cancer journey. Let's talk about that. You were diagnosed early 20s with Hodgkin's lymphoma? Uh, yeah. Um, yes, I was. I was. Um, I'd been living in LA at the time pitching a TV show that I, that's where you got to go to make it happen. Cause that's mm -hmm. where you got to go to make it happen. And, um, you know, it was like, uh, it was, a. I, I think I, thanks to the affordable care act, I think I had just 
re-qualified to be on my parents' insurance um, because I was under 26, Mm -hmm. um, like the previous year, which I got to say is like a a life-saving thing that happened Mm -hmm. in my life. Um, And um, yeah, I was home in Oregon for the holidays and I had had, um, I I had been having really um, persistent chest pain and neck pain and it was increasing while I was there for the for the holidays to the point that I like would wake up in the morning and not be able to turn my neck and like I don't know how long this is going on that I overlooked it but I also had like a quite a visible lump growing out of the side of my neck and um my my dad was like you know you should you yeah should you get, should get that checked you out you should get that checked out and um I went to his doctor because I didn't have a doctor in in Oregon anymore but um, things moved pretty quickly after that. Um, I got my CT scan results the day before Christmas, and they were like, this doesn't look good. We're going to need to do a biopsy the day after Christmas. Merry fucking Christmas. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, Christmas was awkward <laughs> that year uh, in, in 2012. I thought we were going to not mention it to anyone for Christmas. And then my mom, my mom awkwardly blurted it out at the dinner table. And my little brother, who's two years younger than me, he's also an adult, um, just starts crying. I've never seen him cry before. Uh, and I was just like, well, cool. This is going the, well. The good news is, I don't know if many of you don't know, Hodgkin's lymphoma, when caught early, is very treatable um, with chemotherapy and radiation. Um, it's it's literally one of the most treatable cancers, depending on when it's caught. And it you were diagnosed literally at the primary time. It's late teens, 20s, and even into the early 30s where it's very common or over 75. So it's, a, it, it's really strange the way it, it works in your body. So it's like, I'm 51 rare that I'm going to get that. It's just because of the age. And, but unfortunately you were one of the unlucky ones, but 10 years later, you're rocking it. So obviously treatment went well. What did you go through? Yeah, it was all chemotherapy. Originally we were going to do chemo and radiation. And then um, I guess some other scan results came back in and I had too many different tumor locations to target radiation. So we just switched it to doing double the amount of chemotherapy Um, yeah honestly like i didn't i didn't really understand the implications of that choice when my doctor was explaining it to me but the research that i've done on radiation since i'm pretty happy i got to skip that Mm -hmm. not the chemotherapy is a walk in the park um i could have could have loved to skip that too but we had to do something so uh yeah i mean i felt like i was in really good hands i was treated at the night cancer institute um thanks phil Thanks, Phil. You make some weird choices, but that was one of the good ones. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Let's talk about politics. Um, No, but um, yeah, I I, it it was comforting to know. I mean, if you're going to get diagnosed with cancer, it is comforting to be diagnosed with a cancer where everyone's like, oh, we know what to do with this one. Like you're Mm -hmm. not rolling into an experimental trial or something. It's like, no, we have like a, a pretty well researched course of treatment for this and so no one was like oh no what are we gonna do and i have a lot of friends who definitely have have had it the other way where it's a lot of like we've never seen this before like you know yeah you're kind of patient zero on this one and like that's terrifying so 
you know, that's why cancer research is important. So more people get to have that experience of, of doctors saying like, don't worry, we, we know Mm -hmm. we've researched and we know what to do. Yeah, we've got you. I'm very lucky. Both times I was diagnosed, it is the quote unquote best breast cancer to have the most treatable stage one, both times I've, I've gone through a lot, but I'm incredibly lucky. And I, you know, have so many friends and who unfortunately have not been so lucky. And I count my blessings every day, even though I've had cancer twice and, you know, life happens, but I'm here and I get to talk about it with amazing people like you. So once you went through your cancer, when did you decide, like, I need to kind of incorporate this into my my career and what I'm writing about? How did that come about? Um. Yeah, I mean, it... Um... It happened steadily. I mean, part of it is that I did um, that that benefit show. Uh, that was probably a year after I was diagnosed. The Notes of Hope fundraiser, um, where I, you know, I was asked to speak at this event, and um, I also was simultaneously told about this filmmaker who was making a documentary about young adults with cancer, and they were like, "Can he?" like film you giving your speech and then interview you the next day for his movie. Um, I, I think that's because I had been making a YouTube series. I'm telling the story really backwards. I mean, I realized (laughs) that I needed to incorporate it in my art as soon as it happens. Um, I mean, it's a big part of who you are. I was, I was working on a video. I was editing a a Christmas present that I was editing for my dad, which was a video of a road trip that we went on. So I was at my computer. I was at my brother's computer, actually, because I was in Portland. Um, I was at my brother's computer and, um, you know, like my camera was right there. And like I got the call from my doctor being like, you know, we think that you have cancer. And I, I turned on the camera. I filmed him saying that um to me on the phone and i started working on documenting that experience i made a youtube series while i was in treatment um that that followed me from the the minute i heard that news until the minute i got a separate call from him saying we could cancel our upcoming chemotherapy because my scan results looked good and um yeah so it was i it was an instinct to process the experience through the lens of storytelling immediately um i don't know that i even thought about it that much um it's weird because i was previously a very private person and now was like i'm gonna tell the world about my medical history and now it's online forever um i 100 percent feel you <laughs> yeah that's pretty much what happened with me as well my first time i went through i had been i did a private facebook group and invited friends and family and then you know just gave updates and such and then the second time around i had gone to a luncheon with at breast friends where i work and i was so inspired and i'm like screw it i want to tell everybody everything because it could help someone even if it helps one person. And so it's like overnight, I just flipped the switch. I I started a website and I put my blog there and I started writing more. And it's like, yes, I'm an overshare. Here's everything about my life. And <laughs> my husband is still like, can some things be private? I'm like, no, not really. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, if you've heard my podcast, my my boyfriend has the same complaint. <laughs> um, yeah, like, um, you know, there's 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 beauty in being an oversharer, and I didn't realize it at the time. I think I probably started broadcasting my cancer to the internet because I didn't want to have to explain it over and over again to every yes. individual person I knew. Because and that's exhausting. It is exhausting. I was like, mm-hmm. I don't want to tell everyone I have cancer. I just want to send them all a video where I say, guess what, guys? I have cancer. Because um, that seemed a little more personal, I guess, than just posting it on Facebook. I don't know. I didn't really think that closely about it. And I didn't realize at the time that the kind of the secondary benefit that would become the primary benefit was you know, that it would connect me to a a wider community of cancer survivors, um, which is an amazing community that I don't think you realize exists until you join the club. Yeah, it's the club that no one ever wants to join, but has the best members. Now, you said you have you've known many people who are patient zero and unlucky and or just, you know, have different types of cancers and and whatever. How did you was that after your performing at the fundraiser and like with OHSU or was it kind of through your work that you started to meet other young adults who had been diagnosed with various things? You know, it's everything. Um, I mean, when I was diagnosed, I was fortunate enough that OHSU had like a somewhat robust young adult patient services department, which I don't think exists anymore due to funding issues. But at the time, um, you know, I got a call uh, from a social worker inviting me to like join the support group for young adults with cancer. And like from there, I got introduced to the writing group at OHSU where you could just hang out with other young adults who like writing and write about kind of anything but cancer if you felt like it. And um, yeah, uh, there's also in Oregon, a great organization called Project Koru, who does um, like adventure camps for young adults with cancer. Oh, uh, yeah. someone in one of my groups just got back from like Costa Rica or something like that with Koru. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they've really expanded. Mm-hmm. When I, uh, you know, I was like camp 12 or something, and now they're at like 50 something. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, when I did it, they, they, you'd go surfing in Hawaii in Maui and, uh, I'd never been to Hawaii before and I thought that sounded cool. So I was like, oh, I can go to Hawaii for a week expenses paid, like, cause I had cancer. Like, let's do it. I have no interest in surfing. The one time I ever tried surfing before my life, I was immediately hit in the face with my surfboard and just like bled and had a fat lip for weeks and I had to get two root canals to fix my dead tooth (laughs) so I was like I'm gonna fake an injury real fast yeah no surfing for me but I'm getting a free trip to Hawaii (laughs) that's what I thought um but they make you surf and by the end of that week I was like standing on my board and like catching waves which was pretty remarkable um and I was you know like I think a lot of people come into that just being like, I want a free trip. I don't really want to make friends with other cancer survivors because like, I don't want to be emotionally invested in a group of friends who are like not doing well. Um, that sounds emotionally harrowing. And I just got over my own emotional trauma. Um, but, you know, like 
you meet a lot of really amazing people and you do form a really special bond with people who share that life experience. And I, I've had several friends from that trip who have passed away and, um, you know, that always sucks, but it doesn't make those relationships less valuable. Um, so yeah, I've really, I, I dived in for many years making, making friends mm-hmm. in the cancer community through many different means. I traveled the country working on a documentary about cancer survivors um, with a director, Hernan Baranga, who's really amazing. Um, I, uh, I worked with him again on this um, documentary about how to talk to your friends who have cancer, where we interviewed cancer patients and their friends, which was incredible. And um, yeah, I've written plays. I've performed my own solo show um, where invariably somebody will come up to you afterwards and be like, this reminds me of my own experience, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. Like, shout out to oversharers again. I mean, like, <laughs> when, you, when you overshare, people will overshare back at you. And it's to me, I love that. Like I, I'm it's, bad. That's at- a basis for connection. And yeah. we are going to jump out for a quick break, Brianna. But when we get back, I want to dig into your solo show and the documentary. So get ready for that. So listeners, please stay with us. If you would like to make a donation to Breast Friends, you can do so on our website or by texting BF Radio to 41444. If you or a loved one need our services, please go to breastfriends.org and check out patient programs to see what we can do for you. Stay with us. We'll be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to continue our mission that no woman goes through cancer alone and to keep the show going. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can text BF Radio to 41444. Or visit us at breastfriends.org to donate. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon or follow us on Instagram at Breast Friends PDX. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. 
you may also send an email to Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. I'm Michelle Beck. My guest is Brianna Barrett. And we are talking, well, we haven't gotten there a lot yet, but we are going to dig into how young adults are portrayed in the arts and in media when they're diagnosed young with cancer. And so, Brianna, you were talking about all the things you did pretty after you were diagnosed and you have the theatrical writer background. And so you decided to develop your own solo show. So tell us about that. How did that come about and what came from it and all the stuff? Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I didn't know it, but I, I think I started developing that show at the the fundraiser I was talking about because um, they did 20 minutes there that ended up getting reworked over the years um, and eventually became kind of the basis for my 80 minute solo show, which um, was also a multimedia show. So I utilize a lot of the footage or a lot of the outtakes from my YouTube series. So it's um, the, 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 the concept of this show is that I'm, I'm on stage with my computer editing a video and I'm like scrolling through a premiere timeline and pulling up different clips. And like those clips are reminding me of different stories and I'm telling stories or like I'm telling a story and then I go find the clip. So it's, yeah, it's, um, it's, it, it, it's really a, a, a dance between me and, and this footage from my life, which I think is really cool. Cause you get to see me, on stage talking to you, but you also get to see me as a living third your grader story. Yeah. And yeah, losing my hair. And like, yeah, you really feel like you watch my whole life kind of flash before your eyes. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, um, that's, that's the show. And um, like I said, I mean, it, it was, it was received well. Um, people were, coming up to to talk to me about their own experiences afterwards which was really amazing and um you know it's really scary and surreal um you have to think about your own story in a different way certainly you have to push through the fear that's like why would anyone want to listen to me talk for this long um or maybe not push through it i mean it's a real question you've got to give people a reason to listen to you you've got to make that investment of their time worth it I really don't believe in subjecting an audience to my therapy you know <laughs> I, I I really think that um you you probably shouldn't write a story about your trauma until you're sure that you're doing it more for an audience than for yourself and um you know it took me several years um because I didn't start performing the solo show as like a, as a show until several years out of treatment, um, which I I think think was also good. You have to get to a place where you're not still living fresh in the trauma. Absolutely. You can, you, you've, you've passed through, you're done with treatment. You've done therapy if needed, which hundred percent I recommend to everyone for everything. Um, And you need to be, you, it needs to sit well in your soul before you can share, I think, that on stage in the right way. I mean, you can write it out and plan for it, but you have to be in a good place to go back and revisit it over and over again, essentially. Now, um, oh, my God, I literally had a good question and it just went. Um, oh, <laughs> where can listeners um, have how do they find your YouTube series if it's still there? Yeah, great question. <laughs> 
Um, my name on YouTube is Weird Sounding Voice. So I think it's just youtube.com slash weird sounding voice. Um, and I have a playlist that's called Cancer Land. Um, that's all, you know, where I've combined all of the cancer videos because I've made a lot of other videos just for funsies over the years. But yeah, you can see the YouTube series. Um, and also that first show, someone was uh, nice enough to take a video of me. Um, doing that first show that I ever did on stage. And that's on my, on my YouTube as well. Was that the, um, the one at OHSU or your first solo show based on these, on these. The series? one at the one at the fundraiser for OHSU. Okay. Yeah. So it's just like 20 minutes. Um, I've never filmed a full version of me doing the full solo show. I kind of regret that because I don't know that I want to ever do the show again. <laughs> um, which is how, you know, I mean, like when I, I, I did the show at Bag and Baggage and then they later um, commissioned me to make a podcast version of the show during the pandemic because they were looking for online content. And mm -hmm. um, I did in my mind kind of think like, okay, this is me like retiring this story in a way like it'll exist as like mm -hmm. something people can listen to. But it does get tiring after a while to, you know, there's a part in the show where I say like, I have cancer uh, <laughs> and it's tiring to rehearse and perform yourself in present tense, living the moment of like, and then I found out I have cancer. So that I think you know, it's interesting. The, the podcast ended up kind of being a retrospective of the experience of performing your trauma in that way. And it kind of gets into the crazy makingness of having to say it over and over again. Um, so what is the podcast called? It's called True Love and Other Non-Communicable Diseases. <laughs> that is amazing. Um, Thank you. So I'm trying to write it down so I don't forget. Okay. So you now, can also go to my website, briannabarrett.com slash podcast. Which has everything. There. Which Perfect. has everything. Yeah. Now, when you, the first time you were able to, you got up on stage to perform this whole show, did it did it feel like the end of like okay this is i'm kind of finishing out my cancer story or did you know that you wanted to continue working on different things going forward because that is part of the pilot can i can i say that it's has to do with cancer <laughs> yeah absolutely um that's a good question and i think it's one that like um kind of a conversation that um comes up more with with other veteran cancer survivors as you get further and further away from treatment is this idea that like your your cancer narrative doesn't really end i think in media there is more of a focus on like cancer stories you know if we get any stories about our experience um they're usually about diagnosis and treatment and probably dying um, and there aren't there there's not a lot of blueprints or or ways to um talk about or think about, you know, being 10 years, 20 years, you know, it's still a part of your experience. Like the experience of being a cancer survivor who is not actively in treatment. Or, you know, I have a lot of friends who are you know, for their lives kind of actively in some kind of maintenance or treatment. Um, and, and those stories of being a ways out from that initial diagnosis, I think are, 
really important and interesting. So, you know, when I first started performing the story of my diagnosis and treatment, I had no way to know that, you know, six, seven years later, I'd be like, oh, this story doesn't feel as important to me anymore as the story about, you know, like, what do life after life after, you know, life after is deserving of representation. Uh, Because if you can't see someone doing it, you can't picture yourself doing it, you know, 100%. And we talk about that all the time, how for many who go through a cancer diagnosis, the period of survivorship after active treatment is incredibly hard because like you said, there is no blueprint for it. And it is not represented on stage or on TV or in the movies. You don't see that. Like all we see is diagnosis and treatment and you you lose your hair and you you look like an alien because you're so like, you know, there's nothing going on right in your body at that time. And either they they make a miraculous recovery or they die. Yeah. And, and then it stops. And that is not how life works. And I love that you are with your art trying to show the different perspective of that. That's pretty amazing. Um, now, talk about the documentary that you worked on, please, if you don't mind. Oh, sure. Um, I mean, I was just a, I was a, a videographer for a, a documentary called Cancer Rebellion, which was uh, directed by Hernan Brangan, who also appears in the documentary. He's amazing. He's one of my best friends now, but I met him. Um, like I said before, he was the the documentarian who wanted to just like come and interview me um, in Oregon because his whole thing was interviewing a cancer survivor in all 50 states, um, which he did. And that's the subject of the documentary. But we literally like we met and, you know, my my story was about how I am a filmmaker and so like a month or two later he was just like looking for someone to like go on the road with him to do a bunch of interviews in the midwest and i was like pick me pick me (laughs) i met i met you for one day and uh, i guess i'll sign up to like be on the road with you for a month (laughs) and it was amazing you don't bond with someone the way you bond uh on a road trip on Mm -hmm. a road trip for a month talking to people about their cancer and it was like you know i mean we met um we met people in 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 parts of the country that i would probably never have any reason to go to that i'm so glad i was able to experience and and people who you know are living these incredible stories Um, And who in a lot of parts of the country feel kind of a lack of community and a lack of representation. And, you know, I, I remember, I remember meeting this kid who was a high school student, Billings, Montana, who was like, I'm the only person in Montana with my cancer. And you know, that's not true, but like, that's how it feels. That's how it feels. It's very Mm -hmm. isolating, um, especially when there aren't, you know, like those community resources to connect people. Um, yeah, you know, it was like exciting for him to meet other cancer survivors, um, which, you know, was a common experience. But, you know, it, it's crazy, though, like I was still not far out from my own diagnosis. And I learned sort of gaps in, you know, things that some people learn in their diagnosis that I didn't learn. I think we were in Fargo when we were interviewing this this woman who was in the hospital 
getting treated for Hodgkin's lymphoma. And Mm -hmm. she mentioned that a hard thing about coping with her treatment was the fact that she'll probably be infertile. And I had literally never heard that before. Like my doctors didn't discuss fertility with me at all. So I was kind of like, what the hell? It's like a slap in the face. Say more about that. Um, Yeah. Her doctors had gone over, you know, like, do you want to freeze your eggs and all this stuff? I was like, wow, nobody mentioned that to me. I'm learning this for the first time. I didn't tell her that, but I did go into the hallway and just be like, the fuck just happened your heart like, starts what? palpitating and like you're like oh let's yeah. just not think about this right now yeah, i was like all right there's some gaps in communication here that's fascinating well definitely so. finding community and people who get it we talk about that all the time is being heard and seen by someone who gets it is so important to move forward and move beyond your diagnosis because otherwise you do feel so isolated and it makes it so much worse like, I mean, that poor kid in Billings and he's like, I'm the only one. And it's like, well, you're probably not, but you don't have that connection. So I'm sure even just meeting you and the documentarian was amazing for him because he's like, oh, there are other people out there like this. And that's pretty awesome. So we are going to jump out for another short break. Listeners, if you would like to be my guest or share your warrior story, you can email me at michellebeck at breastfriends.org and would love to hear or just to say hi. So thanks so much. We'll be back in a minute. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to continue our mission that no woman goes through cancer alone and to keep the show going. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can text BF Radio to 41444 or visit us at breastfriends.org to donate. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon or follow us on Instagram at Breast Friends PDX. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey Alexa! Hey Google! Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. 
Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Thanks for staying with us. I'm Michelle Beck. My guest is Brianna Barrett, and we are talking about her journey being diagnosed young with Hodgkin's lymphoma and her artistry after that. Now, Brianna, you, we've, we briefly mentioned a pilot and we are going to talk about that, but I want to, um, it's kind of a multi-layered question. So bear with me. So I know you've written a play about cancer for a high school. You wrote a play about cancer for your master of fine arts thesis. And so you've, you've done these things and do you ever want to write about something that's not cancer? Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> but it's, I guess it's what you know, so that it, it informs your writing and I'm sure you've done other things, but do you kind of find yourself always going back to that as like a, a, a thread in your, your stories? Yeah. I mean, I would never want to be painted into a box where all I can write about is just cancer. a cancer writer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, even though that is definitely an experience that shapes my worldview and to some extent probably impacts any story that I'm going to tell. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, in, in, in recent years, um, I think I write a lot about grief and loss and, um, I don't know, a lot of, you know, like I, I'm compelled by stories about illness and living with illness. Um, but I'm also, you know, like I'm a big history nerd. I like writing history plays. No one was getting diagnosed with cancer yet in the 1860s. So that's like a cool place to talk about feminism yeah. instead. They, uh, just, they just died because they didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm super glad I wasn't alive then, but I do love uh, researching it and putting myself in that world and in the context of fiction. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's it's really rewarding and also really exhausting um, to write plays that are are especially plays that are from your firsthand experience. I mean, my um, my MFA thesis was hard for a lot of reasons. It's a very vulnerable subject matter. And it was a comedy and I was doing it during the (laughs) pandemic. So I really, truly had never heard it aloud until opening night of the show uh, in front of a paying audience. And I had no idea how they would react. Um, But with that particular play, it was also, it's a body swap comedy about a drug addict and a cancer patient who switched bodies. And um, in writing it, I'm processing a lot of grief over the death of two of my close friends, one to drugs and one to cancer. And um, I mean, that's why I write comedy because uh, I already walk out of that rehearsal room feeling pretty stressed and vulnerable. And so Mm -hmm. if there weren't any jokes, I can only imagine how much harder I'd be taking it. Uh, But it's, it's still a hard thing to hear people repeat over and over and over again in a rehearsal process. Um, So sometimes you're just like, you know, I, I can't hate on a frivolous play sometimes like it. That seems fun. Uh, <laughs> I need so to write then, one of those. But you are in talks to you're working on a pilot with a friend. Um, can you tell us? I know we can't talk all the details, but can you tell us a little bit about that and what brought it up? Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, 
It's amazing. My writing partner is a really funny stand-up comedian named Becky Brownstein, who is, performs in Portland. She's in Portland mm-hmm. right now. Uh, she's getting ready to move to L.A., but um, she's been a fixture of the, the Portland stand-up scene for a long time, and she tours all around the country uh, doing doing comedy festivals. She's been in a lot of TV shows, um, and uh, she I met her at that very first support group that I ever went to at OHSU when I was like a month into treatment. And she so was still she's in also a survivor. Okay. She's uh, also a survivor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she has thyroid cancer. Uh, she's fighting it still to this day. Um, and, but we were both much earlier in our cancer journeys when we met 10 years ago almost. And um, yeah, I mean, it it took a long time. I always wanted to collaborate with her because she's the one who told me about the writing group at OHSU. And I was in that group with her for a while and was like, damn, she's a really good writer. And um then the second year that I did the Notes of Hope concert when I was returning as a story coach as opposed to a storyteller, um, I was coaching other people and in, in telling their stories on stage. She was the MC and she told this amazing, hilarious story about her own cancer experience. And I was just like, oh, it is my dream to collaborate together someday on something. And she was like, that'd be amazing. And then last summer, she was like, let's finally do it. Like, I don't know. She's she was at the time talking about being frustrated about, you know, some audition that didn't go well or something and like, oh, they're not the roles that I want to play. And I was like, well, who do you want to play? Like, let's let's write. Let's let's write a show for you. Um, She's also yeah, she's a talented actor. And um, yeah, so we we wrote this pilot. um, That's it's about a cancer support group. Um, cause that's our lived experience because that's together. what, you know, and I, what you writing about what, you know, for, for me is the easiest. Like I, I still have this, I, um, I had a surgical hysterectomy, so I, or surgical menopause, sorry. Um, yes, it was a surgical hysterectomy. This yeah, is yeah, the way yeah, my yeah. cancer brain works, but, <laughs> um, there, I think it was Suzanne Summers created the quote of the seven dwarves of menopause and it's like itchy bitchy sleepy grumpy like all all of these things (laughs) and like i still like i'm writing about that because this is what i know you write what you know and throwing in comedy is literally what makes it palatable because no one really wants to read about menopause (laughs) totally yeah and like it is funny like it's it there is obviously the the drama of the life and death stakes which are are present in our show as well although we're pretty um pretty committed to the idea that no none of the main cast ever dies a lot of them a lot of the cast you know they're still in a support group but they've been done with their treatment experience for years some of them you know some of them are newer to the cancer experience and community and so i mean it's just like a great way to get this this disparate group of people from different walks of life and different um worldviews into the same room kind of forced to be in community with each other Uh, And so they all come at it from a different perspective and like their lives have all been interrupted by cancer in different ways and are being reshaped by cancer in different ways. Some of them want to be advocates. Some of them aren't that interested. Uh, It's just, yeah, it's kind of examining all of the different ways that long-term survivorship can, can look and how it, how it impacts, you know, finding your next job or like going on your next day, like, you know, how you think about your future, like if you can move to a new town, like 
if you have to take this job because you need health insurance, you know, it's just like, it's all of the struggles that young adults face. All of our characters are in their twenties and thirties. And like, you know, I mean, we joke that it's like friends. If the reason they're friends is cancer, like <laughs> they're, they're all just still trying to like start their careers and find love. But like, it's also complicated by this, this other thing that they're dealing with. Now, where is that in the process? Well, we have been pitching it um, to different networks and studios. We were um, the the winners of this competition called the Yes and Laughter Lab, where um, first they they flew us to New York. There were 20 finalists who were flown to New York to do a pitch in New York. And then of those, six of us were chosen to do this pitch in LA, which was in September. Um, and so, yeah, we, we pitched it on stage at Dynasty Typewriter in LA, um, to an audience of different agents and managers and um, uh, development execs from different mm-hmm. uh, networks and, and production companies. And so from that, we've kind of just been going the rounds, okay. doing a lot of meetings, um, you know, both with networks like ABC and Netflix and Comedy Central and um, and production companies literally you like, need to you find know. executives who've actually are cancer survivors because the, you you understand it so much more after you've been through it and how relevant it would be because like i said like in many households there is someone who's been diagnosed with cancer and we need we need comedy we need so much more comedy in our lives at this point especially coming out of the pandemic so definitely we'll have fingers crossed for that um and so you're pitching this series. We're working on better, more accurate representation, which we don't have at this yeah. point yeah. for survivorship. But something that you've also done in the past is you you went to the writing group at OHSU, but you've also f- facilitated writing workshops for survivors at OHU and, and other places. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah, I actually took over the writing group that I started being a member in um, when the facilitator uh, was leaving Oregon, uh, Mm -hmm. moving to Massachusetts, I believe. Um, She trained me to sort of take over the group um, because I was a few years out from treatment then and I had been doing um, different uh, patient advocacy at the time uh, and telling my story on different stages for different cancer organizations. And um, yeah, some, somehow she was convinced I would be a good (laughs) facilitator. And um, yeah, I mean, it is definitely a very different experience being the one who's holding space for other people rather than being the one who's coming into the space to explore your own feelings. Um, I found I had to be really attentive to, kind of suss out the the mood of the room each week and what I could bring to it that would help other people open up or feel seen or feel welcomed or destigmatized or whatever it is I felt that people needed from moment to moment. Um, often you have different people who have very different needs and you're trying to figure out how to not alienate anyone and make us all still feel like a, a group who's all having an experience together. Um, so yeah, I mean, I learned a lot about... Um, group facilitation and 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 from that definitely went on to uh to facilitate workshops for other organizations um 
Because like you said, it is a very different place than being the little the little fledgling writer who's trying to get out the feelings. And then you're like, oh, I'm on the other side of it now. And you have to be, like you said, responsive to the mood in the room and what all those little fledgling writers in the room need. And that's a hard that's a hard choice or yeah. the hard, hard position to be in. So it's obviously something you love and you're very passionate about because cancer has so become a part of your career trajectory that you're allowing others to, whether it's their career or just um, a hobby to write it all out. And it's so important. Yeah. You know, I'm like really excited that one of our longtime group members has also joined the Portland Storytellers Guild and is like telling stories on stage and has gotten a lot more confident as as a writer and performer. And I don't think that's something that she ever really saw herself doing before she joined the group. So yeah, stories like that um, are really exciting to sort of watch play out. Cause I do think that there's a lot of power in telling your own story. There's actually a lot of research behind that, you know, like being able to sort of reframe your traumatic experiences into a narrative is so healing and so therapeutic and also so helpful for other people and does continue to instill a sense of community, um, which is, yeah, I think really important. So other than fingers crossed for the the pilot, what is up next for you? Oh man. Um, <laughs> I, I, I do really want to sell this TV show and, and change the world and, uh, I love that. That's you the know, best answer. That, I'm changing that, the world. That's I'm where I'm going. To, I'm trying to change the world. I'm trying to give us better, you know, cancer representation than, you know, Walter White, if he's going to be a role model, which I suggest <laughs> he really shouldn't be. Uh, you know, like I, I thought it was pretty startling when I was diagnosed and realized there's just like, yeah, it's really just a plot device to kill someone off most of the time. And there's not a lot of role models, especially in our age demographic. So um and there's a lot of people who are are writers and are telling this story my my dream of all dreams is to 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 make this tv show and have a writer's room staffed entirely with cancer survivors so it can really be a show that's from the perspective of people who have lived that experience rather than yet another narrative about you know what well, you learned from watching someone suffer you when know? it happens i want to come in and be a guest writer or even just i want to be like in the room one day so we are out of time but um brianna tell our listeners where they can find you and follow you on socials uh yeah i mean the best way to see my other work is to go to my website brianna barrett.com I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not great at social media. I go through phases of remembering to post stuff there. Um, but I am a big fan of actively engaging with people and talking to them, not just like passively following people and, and following them back. Um, so, you know, if you send me a message on the social media, I'll definitely talk to you. Like, perfect. That's the value. Okay. Well, God, we are out of time, Brianna. So thank you so much. Listeners, if you or a loved one need our services, please go to breastfriends.org. Make sure you go find Brianna Barrett and follow all of her stuff and fingers crossed for the pilot. Uh, if you'd like to donate to Breast Friends, you can text BF Radio to 41444. You can find us on all the podcast platforms and also on the Voice America Health and Wellness channel, and you can watch it on YouTube. So we will be back next week. And until then, remember, we rise by lifting each other. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Please join Michelle Beck again next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time 
on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We rise by lifting each other.